the tools that we've designed and created in our books that have been used in organizations. And we're able to see that and go, wow, do you know what? If only I'd have known that then, I'd have designed the tool like that, you know. So we're constantly learning, which for, for me is is one of the bigger benefits of doing the work that we do, that we're able to constantly evolve our thinking and pass it on. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hi, and now we bring you part two of this fascinating discussion with Chris Beswick. If you missed part one, you really should go back and listen to that before continuing on here. We did that one last week. Sure hope you're enjoying this. Take care, everybody. Culture and leadership. Do you separate those? Can you separate those? Thoughts on that? It's funny because I had this exact, this, this is the conversation that I had with the pharma company today. <laughs> Let me come at it from a, a different perspective. I think you shouldn't separate leadership and culture because everyone in an organization, by default, the sum of all of those people, the sum of all of those parts is the culture, right? Yeah. The, the behavior, the interaction, the relationships, the, the beliefs, the values, the habits, all of those ingredients constitute you know when you put them all in a pot to mix them together that by default is the culture of an organization and leadership is a disproportionately influential part of of that mix the conversation we had today this might be an interesting thing to talk about the conversation we had today was actually around managers and management the frozen middle or the permafrost hmm. and this particular organization said well, we don't really have an issue with culture and we don't really have an issue with our leadership, but, you know, we've got some permafrost. And my answer to this, and I, of all the organizations I've been into around the world, I have never, ever, ever been in an organization where the middle of the organization, the middle managers, froze themselves, mm -hmm. right? And the anecdote, the, the thing that I play back to all leaders is, if your middle managers are the frozen middle, who's the cold north wind, <laughs> right? Because they right. don't freeze themselves. Correct. They're, they're freezing predominantly by leaders and in combination with the system that they're asked to work inside of. But leaders drive that system, right? You know, the, the, the classic case is we want innovation. So a leader having a conversation with a middle manager, we want innovation. We need creativity. We need new solutions. We need new business models. We need growth. You know, get out there and do it. Deliver it to us. But don't forget to hit your targets by 5 p.m. on a Friday. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the system that they are being asked to work inside of freezes them. And my job predominantly is to help redesign that. But you can't say, let's just coach leaders and everything else will be all right. The, the way I talk about it is I think, as I said earlier, it's not about making senior execs or, or leader, you know, people in, in leadership roles by title. And, and, you know, we know that leadership happens all over a, across an organization, but, you know, leadership by title, if you like senior executives, we're not, it's not about trying to make them into creative thinkers and innovators per se, but it's about teaching them how to build the environment where those ingredients can bubble to the surface on a daily basis. So I talk about, when I coach leaders, I talk about 
teaching them how to own the innovation agenda? Like what does really real ownership of the corporate innovation agenda look and feel like? Well, then at the middle of the organization, we don't necessarily need them to fully own the innovation agenda. We need them to part own it and understand it and align to it. But what we want the middle of the organization to do is what I call drive innovation, i.e. bring it alive on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because then we free everyone else up below, if you like, the non-managerial people to do what I call contribute to the innovation agenda. And again, that doesn't mean that they all must be innovators, but it's about building an environment where they can help contribute to the innovation agenda. And what I mean by that is they don't all have to come up with ideas. They don't all have to solve problems. They don't all have to say, I've spotted an opportunity and I think I can solve it. Because many people lower down in organizations and across organizations just don't simply come up with stuff like that, right? Right, yeah. But what they can do is they can say, hey, Joe, my colleague, is, you know, he's been asked to sit on this innovation team. He's got a fantastic idea, but he needs four hours of the week like freed up to do it. I'm going to cover some of his stuff because that frees Joe up to solve that problem. That's contributing to the innovation agenda. It's a very simple um, example, but there are a multitude of ways that people can contribute towards the innovation agenda that don't mean they have to be innovators. Right. Building the system and the culture that enables that is how organizations win. Yeah, I mean, just the whole fact of I'm going to take this on to, 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 to free, free that person up. I mean, that's culture that does that. Your culture is such that you'll do that, right? And I've seen plenty of cultures where that won't happen. That'll never happen. But you have to embed that into the fabric of the organization, right? So, for yeah, example, correct. let's run with that. Very granular and simple example, but what you then have to do is you have to change your appraisal framework and you have to change the 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 annual framework by which you you have your performance reviews with employees because you then have to say, well, I can demonstrate that I've contributed to the innovation. Here's how I've contributed. Well, I did this. And that's demonstration of behavior in line with the agenda because I freed up Joe and Joe went and did that and he solved it. And there was the million bucks, right? Now, I didn't come up with the answer and I didn't save the world, but I helped Joe do it. But that's about HR changing how we appraise people, changing your annual review, changing the things that we value in terms of behavior and contribution. The whole system has to be designed Right. And in many cases, for many organizations, the system that everyone is being asked to work inside of needs to be Mm. re-engineered or redesigned and and shifted towards allowing innovation to even stand a chance of surviving. And, And it's that it's that system that's important. And that is all cultural. Yeah. Incredibly well said. In the beginning, I thought oh, one of the questions I want to ask Chris is when you get engaged, are you engaged to establish culture or change culture? But, uh, you know, you've made me think culture's there. There's always a culture, right? There's always one there, whether it's yeah. whether it's good, bad, horrible, average. There's by yeah. default, there are there are habits and beliefs. There are management styles. There's what do I think about? You know, there's there's leadership behavior. There's all of those things. And it's already there. Yeah. What people like me have got to help organizations do is say, which bits of it is working? Which bits of it is okay for the minute? Which bits of it is terrible? 
because these bits here will absolutely, this is why innovation hasn't stuck in your organization because these five or six things here on a daily basis are completely derailing any attempt at in a, or any any opportunity for innovation to be alive and well in the organization are being derailed by these six things here. And one of them's your leadership style. One of them is you've got no strategy. One of them is, you know, you you ask for innovation, but you 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 reward, you know, hitting targets or whatever it is. And then we got and then then we gotta redesign that system. Yeah, fascinating. A typical engagement is it's just not a quick is there's no quick win here, is it? No. We don't transform organizations via a workshop. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. No matter what anybody says. Well, that would be great, right? But the workshops would be a million pounds each, right? But no. <laughs> no. This is about organizations. Actually, it's about people and leaders understanding this, but in general, I call it organizational self-awareness, right? You know, we talk about us as individuals being self-aware and going, a bit like the story I, I gave you earlier, right? Subconsciously, I was obviously self-aware enough to go, self-preservation mode, kick in. You need to you need to change this situation because it's not good for you at the moment. Do something else. Right. I believe organizations as a whole get to a point where the organization itself says something needs to change or we're in trouble. Yeah. And that is just communicated through the CEO contacting me or someone else or, or, the, or, or someone on the leadership team. But enough things start to happen where things aren't going right, things aren't embedding, you know, companies are chucking millions of dollars at innovation with no return on that investment and engagement scores are low, they can't attract new talent, their next nearest competitors just stolen another 12% of the market. All of those things are all the warning signs that the self-preservation of an organization needs to kick in and it needs to say, we need to shift and we need to change. And the pandemic, not that you would ever want to look at the pandemic pandemic and say, oh, well, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. I don't mean it in that sense, but the pandemic has been an incredible inflection point for many organizations. Um, and I, I hope for the better where they say, holy cow, look at what we achieved. Look how much we were holding ourselves back pre-pandemic because look at what we've achieved. So once we come out of it, if we capitalize on this new way of working, this new approach, different way of leading, the shifting, look at what we could actually achieve when these constraints around the pandemic, when these shackles are released. And I, I genuinely think we're going to see, I think we'll see both sides. I think we'll see some good companies still are about to fall. Um, like we saw after Lehman Brothers crash, you know, a lot of companies, you know, they hung on for a few years, but then it eventually... They just couldn't hang on anymore. I think we'll still see some of that, but I also think we're going to see we're going to see some, you know, the phoenix from the ashes, if you like, with a few organisations where we see a completely redesigned organisation from what we knew three, four, five years ago, and we just see some brilliant pieces of organisational transformation, brilliant examples of leadership spearheading that that transformation, and and I think there's there's going to be some brilliant case studies of post-pandemic, organizational self-awareness, brilliant leadership, and examples of just phenomenal transformation and growth off the back of it. 
Wow, that was that was incredibly well said, and I think it it, it summarizes the, the entire conversation we've been having. Won't it be fun to see how that is? Let's let's look in five years. Well, selfishly, I hope I'm part of one of those. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> that journey and being on the inside of that will be will just be will be will be superb. Yeah, yeah, there'll be a great book to write about that, won't there? <laughs> Let's get the next one out of the way first. Yeah, <laughs> Dan and I are just like we've got to do this book, right? And we've got the yeah. theme, we've got the topic, and it's going to be really cool. But we're literally looking at the to-do list, going, "When are we going to start this? This the next book?" Yeah, when you're so busy helping companies transform, right? Well, and yeah. you get this huge opportunity here, just sitting here with. Like you said, coming out of pandemic, and this is you're going to be a busy, you're going to be two busy men. <laughs> well, the beauty about the engagements we have is we are constantly learning, right? So our thought leadership evolves, our thinking shifts, and even things that we said twelve months ago we would have taught a client to do X. You know, now we're going well. Those past three engagements, what about if we just redesign it and do that? You know, we're Everything constantly moves and our thinking, our approaches, it's all constantly iterating because we're learning, you know, the, when we go inside these big organizations, we're learning, we're learning stuff as well. We're learning stuff about them, stuff about people. We're learning how they've used our frameworks that they might have read in my books and Dan's books. You know, we're getting live feedback on the tools that we've designed and created in our books that have been used in organizations. And we're able to see that and go, wow, do you know what? If only I'd have known that then I'd have designed the tool like that, you know? So we're constantly learning, which for, for me is, is one of the bigger benefits of doing the work that we do, that we're able to constantly evolve our thinking and pass it on. And pass it on. Yeah. So the next company you work with, it just builds from all those experiences and, exactly and bring it forward. Yeah. Yeah. You hear a lot about failure and rewarding failure, and it's okay to have products that fail or initiatives that fail, or uh, you know. And and a lot of people are struggling with that. A lot of people are afraid to fail. They're looking at their cultures. Their cultures don't don't uh, allow it or don't don't reward it. What's your thoughts on failure? I wrote about this in in my first book actually, and I I talked about the difference between smart risk and cavalier risk. Mm. And I'm sure there's loads of other authors and experts that have, I'm not saying that that terminology is unique or anything. There'll be loads of other people that have probably described it in the same way. But if you, if you, if you combine that, that those two polarized ways of looking at risk or failure, and then if you sort of add things in, you know, take a lot of the stuff from, from innovation accounting, for example, or, or from, from Dan's first book, The Corporate Startup. All of those tools and all of those frameworks are all designed to help you mitigate risk, right? They're designed to help you fail, but they're designed to help you fail as fast as possible. And when I mean fail, I mean, you spent money, you've engaged customers, you've built prototypes, you've tested stuff, you know, you've burned through some budget, but they're all designed to help you do that as fast as possible so that you can stem the blood flow that you can stop and cancel something as fast as possible the organizations that 
I speak to or that I hear conversations around where, you know, they they sort of reject the whole notion that, you know, risk and failure is a positive thing or that it's a necessary part of innovation. They're the ones that don't predominantly, they're the ones that don't understand the subject enough. You have to be prepared for something not to work. Otherwise, you're not testing, you're not iterating enough, you're 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 not validating your assumptions enough and therefore all of the tools that we have in our armory as people that want to innovate we're not deploying all those tools effectively enough and everything about innovation is designed to to shift you from being a cavalier risk organization to a smart risk organization how do we push the boundaries and take some risk but we're doing it but via build, test, learn, or whatever framework you want to use, or, you know, Dan talks a lot about metered funding. So let's test this and validate it. And then you can have the next 50,000 euros and then test and validate that. So we're not giving a team a million euros and then they go, holy cow, they've blown the lot. Yeah, right. So all of these things are designed to help organizations figure out whether something is worth pursuing or not. And they're designed to help them figure out as fast as possible to align to the to the the well-known phrase um, "fail fast, fail cheap." Yeah, yeah. I wish we could get rid of, rid of the word failure and just just have something different, such as uh, "it's okay, it didn't work out," or I don't know, you know. Because it... so here's the thing: really, really tongue in cheek, right? Uh, Edward de Bono, in in my first book, Edward de Bono talks about there's no real word for when you fail or when you, 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 you do something wrong, right? There's no real word in the English language to say, but actually that failure was justified because we did everything possible to mitigate anything going wrong, but actually something conspired and it just went wrong. There's no, there's no word in the, and he famously said, there's no word in the English language to describe that. So what people do, the vernacular is, they just say, well, you failed or, you know, there's, there's other more expletive words we can use. But so in a real tongue in cheek way in, in the first book, I created a word. I said, look, just play about with it. Right. And start getting comfortable in your organization with if there's no word, what, what the words he used where he said, there's no word in the English language to describe a justifiable venture that for reasons outside your control just didn't work. Right. Yeah. Or just just right. didn't succeed, just didn't succeed. So he said, there's no word to describe a fully justified and considered venture, which for reasons outside your control just didn't succeed. So the viewers can't yeah. see because this is audio. Right. But I'll, I'll show you. So I said, well, take the first few words from that. Right. Justified <laughs> venture. So you've had a juvenicide, Right. <laughs> so, so you haven't <laughs> failed. You've had a yeah. juvenicide, And the point to it is. It was about using language to try and say, okay, that didn't work, but it was smart risk, not cavalier risk, because the, what we did yeah. was fully justified. The experiment that we just did, what, what we tried out was fully justified. We asked all the right questions. We put all the control measures in place. We mitigated as m everything we possibly could, but something that we just couldn't have even predicted happened yeah. and it didn't work. And it's not that I wanted people to, to take that word up. The point no. was, 
If there's no word in your organization to justify taking some risk, then create some language around it or create something that allows people to say, well, I did go for it and it didn't work out, but here's why it didn't work out. But then, and the important bit is, make sure that becomes a learning episode. So it didn't work, but what do we now know that we didn't know before? It's the same as build, test, learn, right? Build it, try it. What do what did we learn? What worked? What didn't work? What do we know now that we didn't know before? So what are we now going to do different? And and I just it was just about having some fun with language. We have to take risks, but we've got to do it in a smart way. Yeah. Because if we're cavalier, we burn cash, we burn resources. The more the smarter we are, the more air cover we get from senior execs, the more mm-hmm. air cover we get from the organization. And the more opportunity we get to take more risks and try more things out. But the the more cavalier we are, the more resources we burn, the more time we waste. That's when organizations start to pull plug and resources. Fantastic. You know, I'm thinking of a listener who's maybe listening to us now and saying, yeah, you know, there, we, we need to work on our culture. I, I like what I hear. Is there like one piece of advice you you would give to somebody? as a way to start or where to how to tackle that oh, gosh there's loads one one's difficult wow. right uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to pick one because there's no silver bullet right yeah so the, there's no, it's not like do this and it'll be okay but right the the one thing and this is this is the red thread that has carried me through from the design industry you know through the consulting industry now into the innovation space and the advisory space around innovation the the one red thread Right. I mean, there's, there's several, but the one most important thing, which is just as much about the inside of an organization as it is the outside, is figure out how your organization can be the most human-centered organization you've ever worked in. Because the more we understand people as organizations, the better our internal culture is, but also that we close the delta between us as a corporate or an organization and our customer. And the closer we are to our customer, the more we know about them, the more we understand them, the more we know what they want, what they might want, the more we know what problems they have, et cetera, et cetera. The more we can solve, build things for them and ultimately innovate for them. And that's all about understanding people. And that for me is about being human centered. Wow. I don't think there's anything I could ask you that could top that. So <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there is, but but not, <laughs> but not on this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, this has been a phenomenal discussion. Thank you so much for sharing your your experiences, your 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 knowledge, just all of it. Your personal trials just been phenomenal discussion. I just I really loved the, what we talked about. It was really great. Thank you so much for joining us. If people want to follow you, connect with you, learn more, what's the best way? I'm super easy to find on LinkedIn. There's no H in my name. And that's some some people, I get messages from some people and they'll say, oh, it's taken me three weeks to find you. I just couldn't find <laughs> And then they realize yeah. there's no H. Yeah. So it's just C-R-I-S-B-E-S-W-I-C-K. Yeah. So it's Chris Beswick on LinkedIn. It's Chris Beswick on Twitter. They can come and check out what what... You know, most of your listeners will, will, will know, know Dan Toma, my partner. So yeah. come and check out what we're doing. Um, our URL is weareoutcome.co. Come and check out what we're doing there. 
connect on LinkedIn, drop me a message. I'm, I'm pretty much open to having a chat about all this stuff. Yeah, so we'll put we'll put plenty of links in the show notes for for yeah. people uh, to find all this information. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, again, Chris, thanks. And uh, you know your your comment of learning and and evolving. Uh, I would love to touch base again and at some time, maybe late late this year, and 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 see. Uh, Kind of what new things you guys. What are do I know now that I didn't know then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's your new books about? Once you get it kind of oriented a little bit, we could talk about that too. Yeah, well, we'll. Um, I'll. I can give you an insight off air, obviously, because. Yeah. Um, it, right. we're, we're, we're we're not public yet, but you'll. Um, when I get, if I give you an overview of what Dan and I are talking about, you'll go. Holy cow! Like when? When can I get it? It's it's yeah, gonna be it's gonna be really cool. Yeah. Well, then for sure I'm gonna ask you come, to come back at some point in the future when it when it gels. No worries. <laughs> All right, Chris, you have a great week and thanks for joining us. And you, thanks, thanks a lot. And to all the listeners out there, thank you for joining us. I, I hope you found that as fun as I did. Uh, I think um, there's there's a tremendous things to think about there. And do reach out to uh, to Chris and Dan to follow up on any of these items that you heard. They're doing some great work out there. So I wish you all a great week ahead. Thanks for joining us. and Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.